Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And my name is Brian Colbert Kennedy. And this is the podcast where we give you the tools you need to fight for a better future for everyone. Uh, We give you the context straight from the smartest people on earth and the action steps you can take to support them. That's the important part, the action steps. Mm -hmm. Our guests Mm -hmm. have been scientists and doctors, nurses, journalists, engineers. I'm not done yet. Farmers, politicians, and activists, educators, business leaders, astronauts, reverends. Stop me now, Quinn. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. Nope. I'm not going to. Oh. Uh, and uh, they are some of the smartest, most important people on earth, and they've got the tools you need uh, and the context you need to uh, make this place a little bit better. Um, this is your friendly reminder. You can send questions, thoughts, and feedback to us on Twitter at importantnotimp, or you can email us at funtalk at importantnotimportant.com. And you can join tens of thousands of other smart people and subscribe to our free mm-hmm. weekly newsletter, at importantnotimportant.com. That's right. That's right. Uh, Brian, this week's episode, very exciting, sort of a special one, yep. election-themed. Yep. Uh, we are getting into the heart of why state elections matter now and forever. That's true. Uh, and boy, do we have some wonderful women talking with us. Our Oh, boy. I mean, oh, boy. Seriously, what an incredible episode. Yeah. Our guests are Amy Steele mm-hmm. and Amanda mm-hmm. Littman, returning for the second time, Amanda Littman. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they are uh, inspiring, action-oriented women. They are mm-hmm. writing a new future for this country. Mm-hmm. And seriously, you have you have to listen to this episode, everyone. If you if you listen to one, listen to this one. Stick around to the end because I mean, it just gets better and better. What a day! We were very lucky to have this conversation, and uh, they are truly building and are the new building blocks of uh, of American democracy. No biggie. No biggie. Um, Very so excited inspired. to share this with you. Anyways, guys. let's go talk to these uh, amazing women. Let's go talk to Amy and Amanda. Let's do it. Our guests today are Amy Steele and returning for some reason for her second appearance, uh, the great Amanda Littman. Uh, and together we are talking about why state elections matter for, uh, well, your state, uh, but also for the future of a livable planet for everyone. Amy and Amanda, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely. We're so excited you're here. So excited. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. Can we get started by, uh, ladies, telling everybody uh, quickly who you are and what you do? Uh, Maybe we can start with you, Amy. Okay, great. So thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm Amy Steele from North Carolina. I am a mom of five amazing kids, married (laughs) to my husband, Michael, for 21 years. And I'm a candidate for the North Carolina House of Representatives. I'm a former teacher, a Spanish teacher, and former K-12 school principal. So that's kind of my background. Um, But I grew up all over the world having been a military child. And we eventually settled in North Carolina, went to college here, and then became a teacher and a principal and decided to run for office. So that's me in a nutshell. Holy cow. Okay. That's incredible. That's awesome. Amanda, what's your story? Remind Uh, the people. Please, Amanda. (laughs) I'm Amanda Littman. I am one of the co-founders and the executive director of Run for Something. I'm a campaign hack because I worked for Obama, for Hillary, for the Florida governor's race. We launched Run for Something in 2017, thinking it'd be small. Instead, in the first now four years, we've had more than 62,000 young people all across the country tell us they want to run. We've endorsed nearly 1,500 
Uh, this fall alone, we will have more than 500 on the ballot, predominantly women and uh, Black, Indigenous, people of color. And they're amazing. They're people like Amy. Um, so I am oh, thrilled to talk about uh, our candidates and local elections and redistricting and everything that you guys have in mind for today. And Amanda, correct me if I'm wrong here. You don't want to spend this time talking about the Washington Nationals being the world champions, correct? Or you do? I just could, if you could. <laughs> I mean, I, I am so complicated. It's when we talk about this all the time. But the Nationals are the reigning world champion. And since I choose to believe that this season didn't really count, they're still mm-hmm. the world champions of my heart. So It's true. It's true. Every Yeah, the, we're just carrying it right over. Sorry, Amy. We promise we're going to get to it. Sorry, um, Amy, and sorry, Brian. Okay, I don't care about the Washington Nationals. All right. Anyways. All right. Quick reminder for for everyone and and for you ladies, our goal on this show is always to, uh, of course, provide some context for our, our question or our topic uh, of the day and then, uh, and then really dig into um, action-oriented questions uh, about it and, and what everybody out there can do uh, to, to help uh, support you and support our goal. Does that sound great? Sounds great. Let's get it. Awesome. Um, Amanda's going to remember this part, maybe or maybe not, which is great. Either way, don't cheat and tell Amy. She probably Amy, put it out of her mind. I'm sure I would too. Yeah. Uh, Amy, uh, instead of saying, tell us your life story, as amazing as that sounds, oh my gosh, we do like to ask, Amy, why do you feel like you are vital to the survival of the species? Right. Well, that is a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> Be bold, please. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Well, I believe I'm vital, number one, because I'm diverse. Uh, too many times we've seen lots of voices at the table to try to, quote unquote, save humanity or uh, propose ideas that may, in fact, help everyone. Um, but those voices are often majority voices, predominantly white voices, or voices that have been heard for decades and decades, and not racially diverse, or age diverse, or gender diverse. And so I bring all of that to the table. Uh, as an endorsed candidate by Run for Something and many other um, endorsees or endorsement organizations, rather, I am the endorsee, right? <laughs> uh, but as a candidate, whatever you say. Yeah, <laughs> we'll go eat. You're in charge now. <laughs> That's right. But as an endorsed candidate, one of the things that I bring to the table is my youth and my vibrance. I'm not that young, but I'm young enough to be able to say that I'm a member of, you know, Gen X slash millennial generation. And that voice in and of itself is not a voice that's taken seriously, I think, at legislative tables or in political spaces. Um, being a black woman is a whole different paradigm shift. Uh, that needs to be introduced to the conversation. And it's time for us to step up and make sure we have that voice uh, displayed at decision-making tables. So that's why I, that's how I show up, right? But that's also why I'm showing up in a space and a time where it's absolutely essential to hear diverse voices as we make laws and policies. I mean, let's face it, our world and our nation are so diverse. You know, in America, mm-hmm. we're kind of, we're, we're very diverse in America, but we think it's, you know, kind of all, all on us and we're the only ones that kind of look like us. But there's a completely diverse world, as I'm sure you all know about. And we need to honor that with, by having diverse voices at the decision-making tables. That sounds amazing. The only thing I heard is that somehow you still are vibrant despite five children. And I've got three <laughs> and I'm dying inside. I don't totally understand. Why? I mean, look, they're they're so great. They're so great. I'm just so tired, you know? Yeah, they're exhausting. <clears throat> you're, you're a hero. You're this is a hero. why you're All not right. running for office, Quinn, and Amy is. <laughs> well, I mean, thank for everyone's for benefit, everyone, by the way. Thank, thank God. God. 
Uh, Amy, thank you for that uh, candid and thoughtful and, and inspiring answer. I, I, I really appreciate it. Um, and we appreciate ev- everything you are, are doing and have done so far. So let's let's get into that. Um, folks, uh, you might know there's an election coming. <laughs> Hopefully. Um, Hopefully. And uh, good news is after 2018's results uh, or uh, 20, uh, in the off year, some of the other states like Virginia, you might be aware that there are other elected offices besides president and the Senate in the House, uh, the U.S. House. There, uh, that might have actually been the first time you really paid attention uh, to to the House and who your representative was, or maybe even the first time you paid attention to state elections, all of which is vitally important because... Uh, among other reasons, um, when there is a massive galactic void of federal leadership, states, um, and I guess this is how America was kind of designed, for better or worse, um, can actually get some shit done on their own or in concert with other states when they have to or need to or, or want to uh, on education or COVID or jobs or climate, um, um, all those things. Or they don't. And that depends on who's in those state offices and who's in power. And also de- that depends on who is eligible uh, to vote for them and in each district. And that in itself is complicated, but uh, we are working to make it so that uh, more people can vote and more people can run and we can put better people in offices to try to do this whole thing. And that's part of what we're talking about today uh, with our guest, which is really about why state elections and uh, a district like Amy's is, is so important. Uh, Amy, uh, f- from everything I've gathered, and you mentioned this, the easy question is, is like in the past few years, um, you've been a, a, a writer, an entrepreneur, a school principal, like you said, you're a mother of five. Um, at, at what point did you go, you know, um, I feel like I have too much free time. I should run for office <laughs> in a red district. Um, and and was that like, was that before or after you got your PhD? Right. So that's the easy question, right? At the same time, I remember like six days from the past 10 years, so I, I don't understand how you do all this. But this is actually your second shot at this seat. What made you come back and do it all again? Okay, so let's start from the um, didn't have much time so or di- had a lot of time, spare time. <laughs> sure. um, as a mom of five, you never have time. You don't even have time to think about not having time. And so that's... That is the key point as to why we need more women, more moms to step up and run for office. Uh, Because women have this innate ability to balance things and to prioritize things and to Mm -hmm. still get things done because we're great. I won't say we're great multitaskers. I will say we're great. You know, we, we can tell people or invite people into our space to help us with things. And, you know, we can delegate well. So that's number one. I do have a very supportive husband, very supportive family. My kids are amazing. Um, They drive me nuts. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) You can check out my (laughs) podcast on that because they drive me nuts. Um, And that's a whole other thing. But essentially, I am a person of duty and obligation. And I think that's super important. I grew up in a military family and we only had one mission and one vision. And that was whatever the task was at hand. That was the mission. And so by, you know, when I graduated college and went to teach and then started working as a teacher, my mission was to teach kids Spanish. So I went after that mission as hard as I could. And I succeeded in that mission. But then other things presented themselves that made me think I need to become a principal because that was the only seat of power that would allow me to do other things that I wanted to do. So that became the mission. And so when I became a principal, 
you know, the mission was, well, I want to continue to clarify my beliefs in public education. So I got a PhD. That was the mission. And in doing all of that, I learned about more inequities in systems of education, more issues, more challenges, and more problems that hadn't been addressed yet. When that became my new mission, I thought, how else am I going to do this? Stay a principal, become a superintendent, or you know something else. And I, I will never forget this day. I received a call in December, no, November of 2017, and it was from my assistant superintendent at the time. And uh, she told me that essentially the North Carolina General Assembly had passed a law that stated that class sizes needed to be smaller. Well, as a teacher, as a principal, theoretically, that is a fantastic idea. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it's a great idea to make your lunch the day before school until you wake up and then go to school, have your lunch. And you're like, this is a terrible idea. I should have waited <laughs> to make it in the morning, you know, so it's fresh. But anyway, it sounded like a fantastic idea. But when you actually shift the kids around and shift the teachers around, what you unfortunately do is cause higher class sizes to be in higher grades. So from K through third grade, class sizes were going to be reasonable and wonderful, but the teacher assistants were going to go away. Well, that's a problem in elementary schools, if you all have ever had kids in elementary school. The next issue was that the class sizes in fourth grade through 12th grade were going to explode. Mm -hmm. So we had fourth grade classes with like 35 kids. That is a recipe for disaster. We had high school classes with 40 kids. That's disastrous if there ever was such a thing. Um, I've taught high school. I've been an assistant principal in high school. That's not good, right? So we saw that happening. And when my assistant superintendent called and said, make room for five more teachers, I said, excuse me? How do you make room for five more teachers in a landlocked building filled with asbestos from 1963? Like, how does that work? Right. This isn't uh, Doctor Who. Like, it's not bigger on the inside. Right. And I couldn't just put a trailer on the front yard because, oh yeah, we already had two of those that were dilapidated. So I'm not sure how that was supposed to happen. So I said, well, I'm really confused as to how I'm going to do this because I don't have any more space in the building. And she said, well, you have to be creative because the General Assembly said so. Like, this is what you have to do. It's the law. And I said, wait, who made this stupid law? (laughs) And she said, the General Assembly. And I said, you know what? I'm going to fix that. So that became my new mission because what I faced was having to take the library, the PE or the gymnasium the music teacher's classroom, the art teacher's classroom, and the cafetorium, which is a fancy word for cafeteria and auditorium together. So I had to take the stage, okay, in the cafetorium, which meant that essentially we would only be separating the kids in the classroom on the stage from the kids eating lunch for two and a half hours a day with a thick curtain. That's it. So that's not what any school should look like. So I decided to run for office. That became my new mission. So it's really all about the mission You kind of take care of the circumstances aside from the mission. But when you're mission focused, you just got to get her done. And that's what I signed up to do. And it didn't quite work out the first time. So I'm trying again the second time. Boy, are we on fire. (laughs) Was there there any talk, so sorry, quickly, when you came up with the word cafeterium of it being auditoria? Uh, we is, did not talk about okay that. okay well, i'm just curious. that's that's the question you yeah, that's there's okay. many questions i that's figured so you would answer the other ask uh, the other ones okay. i'm sorry amy i was saying i love it i'm sorry i love it <laughs> oh god uh, is, all the time you're never going to get back here um <laughs> so on that note like uh you just you you a perfect little segue thank you about uh how how you decided to run and you've decided to come back amanda let's Talk about what's changed since the last time we spoke and how, you know, you, you've spent the past 
a few years doing less doom scrolling uh, in bed, like probably Brian, and more of building up a young, diverse, progressive American bench from from the ground up. Um, This sort of, Amy, part of why she's running again and able to run again, I imagine, is because some maps were redrawn. And and that's a lot of what is on the line for you, isn't it? Uh, Carabas County is a, is a perfect example of what we're fighting for. Is that right? That's correct. Um, and so I love y'all, but I'm going to tell you how to pronounce it. Oh, Ka- please. No. <laughs> Say it again. Cabarrus? Barris. Oh, we should have asked. Uh, like we always sorry. ask about. I, we always ask. I couldn't even get my yeah. computer to work this morning, much less uh, anyway. Cabarrus, right? Because I don't want you to be cabarrus. <laughs> oh, See? that's so We're having good. Fun with words this episode, you guys, you Amy, you and Brian could just have a spinoff and just talk about puns the entire time. Can we, uh, please? That's amazing. Um, but yes, so, the district was redrawn, and yes. Cabarrus County became a toss-up county. And so now we are extremely competitive. Um, I was actually just on a call with my consultant team and they said my race is the most expensive race, if not the second or third, but they think it's the most expensive race in the state uh, due to the lines being redrawn more fairly. And now there is fair competition between me and my opponent. That must be nice. Uh, Amanda, tell us about how like this is all going according to your grand plan. <laughs> it is. It's 100% according to the grand plan. Um, so we probably spoke, what, two years ago? Year and a half ago? Time is a flat circle. Who, Time who is meaningless. But basically since in you know, the first three years, Run for Something has helped elect more than 300 people um, across 45 states. We flipped state legislative seats in 20 states. Uh, 54% of our winners are women, 47% are Black, Indigenous, people of color. Um, they're amazing. And they have really moved the needle in in each of their offices, you know, from Judge Lena Hidalgo in Texas, who's running Harris County, where Houston is, and is basically the only major elected official in Texas taking the pandemic seriously, to, to the Virginia State Legislature, where they ratified the Equal Rights Amendment, expanded Medicaid to more than 400,000 Virginians, to, you know, Anna Escamani in the state house in Florida, who is up at all hours of the night, literally one by one, helping her constituents navigate the quite intentionally broken unemployment insurance program there. Um, mm-hmm. It has been remarkable to see people go from you know person to candidate to elected official and equally as remarkable to see people who we worked with in 2017 and 2018 who may have come up short who are running again. So like Amy's a great example of this and one of the reasons I'm so glad she's here today. Um, two thirds of the people we worked with in 2018 told us they were thinking about running again sometime in the future. Um, mm-hmm. For the folks who could, many of them are now. And it's what I think is a, an important um, perspective to bring to electoral politics. You know, for most people and most political organizations and most donors, you you think about it in maybe one year cycles or two year cycles at most. You know, you know, 2020 really started for most people in like mid-2018, early 2019, if you were lucky, or maybe even, or I guess, post-mid-2019 mid or early 2020, I should say. Um, but for people like Amy and for Run for Something, the work for 2020 and for 2022 started four years ago. It started two years ago. Um, and you have to lose a little in order to win big eventually. So if you think about politics and outside of like a single election cycle, you can start to see how this builds on top of itself. So when Amy wins in November, which I have no doubt she's going to, because she is an incredible candidate running a great campaign, 
it is in no small part because she ran in 2018 and laid the groundwork for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is true across the country. So, so as I think about the big picture, like we have 500 candidates on the ballot in November, I expect, I don't know, half of them to win, if not more, mm-hmm. um, in, in no small part, because some of them we've been working with for four years now. That's huge. That's a long time to really engage with a campaign. Um, yeah. I'm excited. I'm pumped. This is the grandmaster plan. You're right. Yes. <laughs> I, I can't think of, of of two folks I'd rather have more in charge of the grandmaster plan than than you and Amy. Um, uh, I, I, God, please, please. Um, but it speaks to momentum, right? I mean, we had this lost decade. You read this, there's this incredible, you can find it online, put in the show notes. Carl Rove wrote an article in 2010 where he literally just, it's like the end of an Austin Powers movie where he was like, here is our plan for the next 10 years. And then they did that and we didn't do any of it. And now we have this momentum because of groups like yours over the past few years of rebuilding, of rebuilding, of rebuilding. And, and not just, again, and we'll get into this in a second, but not just, um, you know, putting people in place in uh, school boards and state houses and and further um, uh, where they can have maximum impact locally, but also uh, putting people in those places who can have an impact there and then uh, be this uh, grassroots element to grow into are more national representatives, right? So, so building this 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 groundswell of people, and and both of those things are are so vitally important, and, and we have to do it, and we have to do it because it takes time. It's like uh, to come back to the Washington Nationals. It's like having okay. a great farm system, right? You got to grow these people from the ground up. Um, and and you made and I'm uh, Amy. I'm I'm I uh, spend most of my time in Los Angeles, but I'm from Virginia, and I'm actually here now. And because of uh, folks like Amanda and all those people that ran in Virginia, Virginia. <laughs> Is like a completely different state than it was uh, 18 months ago. Um, from like you said, from from the uh, from the ERA to reproductive rights uh, to marijuana to clean energy to voting, it went from like in a week one of the most difficult places to vote in America to one of the easiest. And and it's incredible. And I'm so proud. Of, there's still so much work to do, but I'm so proud of that. And also, it's just this poster you want to hang up and shake and be like, "Look what you can do!" Like it can make such a difference. It can make such a difference. So I'm I'm all for the momentum there. I think that's exactly right. And like what happens, especially when you think about how stagnant things have been in Washington, like God love members of Congress, that seems like a terrible fucking job because you don't really get to do anything. You don't get to make yeah. progress with people. But you know, when we elect Amy to state legislature, she's going to get to make life better for North Carolinians almost immediately. Um, Because the work that they're doing directly affects people's day-to-day lives. And I think the pandemic and the summer of of protesting and the the violence against Black lives especially has illuminated how critically important these offices are, not just for like the political purposes, not just for building a farm team and not just for redistricting, but for for policies that that make us make it easier to get through the day. Absolutely. And and I mean, uh, again, it's always been true, but now more than ever. Um, it is so important to have, uh, uh, again, like a mother of five in, I mean, the, just having no time for the bullshit, but also like so essentially focused on what is practical and what will actually make people's lives better because of the perspective you have, Amy, that, that, that just w- white guys who, 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 who've been in power for 40 years do not. Right. And, you know, I just want to comment on that. It's, it's so important to have everyone at the table 
But I think what's so interesting about this moment is, you know, everyone says, oh, well, if black lives matter, you know, all lives matter. If black people need to be at the decision making table, so do white people. If this and that, and if this, then that. You know, my my thing is, no, we have blacks and Latinx people and people of color in general have mm-hmm. been systematically eliminated from the decision making table for so many centuries, not decades, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. years centuries. And so now what we're seeing is this outcry from the young people. We're seeing an outcry from uh, racial groups, from just different groups of people saying, no longer is this okay. And not only that, you have to realize that when people are traumatized year after year, day after day, you know, they they finally blow. Like they can blow or have an outburst or something. And maybe it's not the outburst you want to see. Maybe it's not the response you want to see. But essentially, that's what they're doing. They are responding to systemic trauma over time, which completely can change your DNA. It can change your outcomes in life. Mm -hmm. It can change so many factors in your life. And so why, you know, it's so important to get me elected is because I'm coming with a head space of peace but also a little bit of focused intentionality, right? And so that intentionality of creating laws and policies similar to what Virginia did, as you just referenced, Mm -hmm. is what I want to do in North Carolina. But I bring with me the concern, the care, and the, the, um, the just the overall perspectives of people of color who have been disenfranchised and dis- discounted for their what they bring to the table and their conversation and the decisions that we can potentially help to to make. So that's kind of where I, I stand with whose voices need to be at the table and why. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this election is so important. And North Carolina is right on top of Virginia. Like mm-hmm. Virginia did it. We're next. And Absolutely. You know, we're coming for it. <laughs> no, I, I love it. And it does. It it matters so much. And And like, I mean, there's so many you know, and I mean, this is such a, there's so many wonderful things about the internet and so many terrible things about the internet. And you do, you see folks who, who after all these incredible, um, you know, the black lives matter protests and, and, and marches and commentators online saying things like, well, that's not the way to <laughs> protest or this and this. And it's like, buddy, you don't get to choose. Like that's we're, we're done there. This is happening because of the choices that you have made for 400 years. You know, like it's, it's, this is inevitable and, and this is the way it was going to go because you designed a system that uh, at best is maximally unfair um, and is otherwise just horrific. And, and it's time to, to redesign the entire thing. Right. Um, And and may I say one more thing about that? You can say whatever you would like. (laughs) (laughs) So I, um, you know, I co-founded an organization with two other women called the Black Political Caucus of Cabarrus County. And so essentially the goal was to amplify the voices of black and brown people in this county and ensure we hold our elected officials accountable for furthering the mission, vision and tenets of the organization, but for black people and people of color in Cabarrus County. And so we started founding or you know organizing, et cetera, back in 2019, and we launched in 2020. Obviously, we had no idea <laughs> about the pandemic, about George Floyd, about all of the other killings, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and, and so many others, right? 
We just wanted to be able to bring black people to the political table and say, okay, we will amplify your voices. What do we want as a as a culture, as a people? And so, in doing that, um, you know, fast forward, we've got the pandemic in March. We launched in January. Everything was fine. Pandemic in March. We're still meeting regularly. And then George Floyd in uh, on Memorial Day. And so, in June, we organized a peaceful protest march. So. In doing so, we worked collaboratively with the police departments. We got a permits. We did, you know, we got all of our permits for music, for all of the things that we wanted to do. They suggested we started the courthouse steps. We walked around a block, came back. There was no property destruction. I mean, it was just a beautiful march. But we had a mm. prayer vigil and we had given out over 500 candles, right? And people were lighting their candles. Everything was so peaceful. It was so amazing. We had music. We produced a wonderful video um, with a drone of all of the people gathering and walking. It was the most peaceful thing you ever did see. Fast forward to political, you know, hate mail season. My opponent and other, you know, people who want to use things against me, for instance, they have utilized not the images from my, uh, you know, participation in the protest march and the peaceful protest march. They utilized images that we see in mainstream social media of fires, of destruction, of despair. And they're painting me as a vigilante. Um, and I think it's a racist trope that is going to backfire. But this is how you know people take the voices of those who are disenfranchised and try to use them against them when running for office. They also strategically found a piece of a, a, a picture that I posted on Facebook with my hair. This is as a black woman with my mm -hmm. hair braided in two cornrows. And then use that to show me in a male piece looking angry or, you know, like I wanted to really hit somebody or hurt someone. Then the last piece they did showed me punching a white man and giving him a black eye and causing him to have a neck brace. Now, I've what? never been in a fight with a white man <laughs> ever. Holy but cow. That these are the kinds of things that people of color face when they're one running for office or two, trying to do something to advance their communities. So you tell me if after you received mm, no less than 15 male pieces that are negative in a two and a half month time period, if that wouldn't shake you to not want to participate in the democratic process that we call our you know, democracy, our right. This stuff, running for office, politics, it takes stamina, grit, determination, and resilience. Once I make it through this process, I will be a stronger woman, but this is why people of color don't show up. This is why young people don't show up to do this work. It is very difficult and you have to have the mindset that it's not personal, but you can't help but take it that way, especially when you go home and you're with your family, you're having dinner and you're discussing how was your day? How was your day? How was your day? You know, in our house, that's like 50 times they have to ask that question because there's so many of us. But after you get through everyone, those moments where you reflect on the mail you opened and that's the mail you saw and the image that's portrayed about you and how negative it is and how you know it completely inaccurate it is those moments hurt and then we want to you know Amanda's organization does such a fine job of preparing all candidates but particularly candidates of color and women and young people to run and run well and run great campaigns that are highly organized, that focus on field, focus on financing, focus on all of the aspects we need to focus on. But emotionally, mentally, psychologically, those things mm -hmm. 
are not, you can't train for that. Uh-huh. <laughs> you cannot train for that. So sure. that's just something to consider. Yeah. And I'm as if that's not enough, you know, on top of all that, in your county, Cabarrus County is how it's pronounced. Uh, Thank you, Brian. It's no problem. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, hasn't been immune uh, from from this moment. From you know, you've got you've faced COVID like everyone else still facing um, four thousand cases. I think sixty nine deaths, uh, and you're running a campaign with five kids at home, and like that's one thing. But you're running a campaign with five kids literally at home because there's a pandemic and they have to be at home. That's a whole another thing. Uh, one of our favorite writers, Ed Ed Young at the Atlantic, he had a great quote recently about how. COVID has exposed and and taken advantage of all of the existing cracks in, in the sidewalk mm-hmm. that is America. And and Quinn's written a bit about how how this has been like a, a pop quiz, sort of a snapshot of policies at, at a moment in time and of the choices that we've made. COVID's exposed, you know, everything that's broken, basically, or mm-hmm. everything that was designed to to suppress and, and make Black and Brown and Indigenous people sicker and uh, poorer and less able to succeed. In, in this country, in, you know, you ran two years ago, so that was pre-COVID, and, and you were even mm-hmm. running this time before before COVID. So many states and districts like yours were abandoned by the federal government, mm-hmm. and I guess how you know how has this moment made you uh, more focused and more driven to make an impact in in your district, and, you know, and on the actual lives of of your constituents. Well, it's made me more focused because or in the ways of just ensuring we meet people's needs. Um, As Amanda mentioned, there was a candidate down in Florida who was doing her best to uh, his or her best to help people with the unemployment system. You know, what we're finding now is that people are talking to us on the phones about things that we've never heard before. (laughs) Um, They used to talk about, you know, what are you going to do about public education and, you know, paying our teachers more and paying our, our, you know, support staff, the custodians, the bus workers, you know, those kind of people paying them more. And um, what are you going to do about healthcare? You know, I want to make sure I have healthcare and that I don't get cut for pre-existing conditions, that kind of thing. Now people are saying, you know, can you help me file my unemployment or I didn't get my stimulus check. Do you know why? Um, you know, we're calling to ask them to vote for me, but we're also calling to do wellness checks because we have to. Like, it's completely shifted how we campaign. Sure. And instead of, you know, showing up at their door, knocking on their door, we're leaving literature on their door. We're mailing them and calling them and texting them like crazy. But we're having to do different things just to reach the constituents. But when we call them, they're asking us to help them with diapers, they're asking us to help them with unemployment. We're talking middle income and low income, but middle income people who work, who used to work at a bank or, you know, another seemingly, you know, uh, well-paying job, but now they find themselves on the other side of the economy, not on the side that they've become accustomed to. We have a ton of parents asking for any help around public education. You know, they're home with their kids. They're trying to work a full-time job, keep food on the table. They have a great job but they cannot teach them their kids or have access to um, tutors or things that will help their kids grow while they're at home learning. Then we have this whole broadband issue. You know, COVID's illuminated the fact that internet is a commodity of privilege. (laughs) If you have privilege, okay, black, white, Latinx, any, any color, doesn't matter. If you have privilege economically, you can afford the best internet service. Sure. If you don't, you're going to be possibly using a hotspot 
from your phone, which is very difficult to operate when you're trying to take calls from the phone and do it as a hotspot or use it as a hotspot. Mm-hmm. You're also going to be going to the school, pulling up in the driveway, using the internet off the school. And Cabarrus County, we have parking lots with buses. And so the hotspots are on the buses and you can go pull up to the parking lot or it may reach to your area if it's a densely populated area. But we're having much different conversations this year. So we have to be super hyper-focused on meeting people's needs. Every day, it's about meeting people's needs. I have groups from Yale University, Duke University, UNC Chapel Hill, um, states like Maryland, Virginia, California, New York, making phone calls for my campaign. When they make phone calls, we have this one question in the script that says, what can the campaign do for you? What do you need? And everyone without question who's making calls, when we do the training, I do the rah, rah, sis, boom, bah, prep talk at the beginning, they always say, um, do you mean, what do you mean by this question? And I say, we mean exactly what it says. What do you need from us? Do you need money? Do you need food? Do you right. need guidance? Do you need help with that unemployment system? Because it is archaic at best. Um, do you need help with gas? Do you need a gas card? You know, what do you need? And often I'll take the money from my own personal budget my, with my husband's you know, blessing, um, or we'll recruit and raise the money somewhere else. But we find a way to get them what they need. That's our hyper-focused effort right now. I'd love for people to vote for me because I'm trying to win, obviously. But I need to know, I need them to know that their humanity matters to me and my campaign more than their vote. Their vote will come, but their humanity is first. And that's what people of color have been saying for so many years. Don't just come and talk to me, or as I like to say, don't holler at me when it's time to vote and then ignore me 364 days out of the rest of the year. Mm -hmm. Don't just come when it's time for an election. Come when when it doesn't matter or when there are other things at stake like my life. And so that's what we're hyper-focused on right now. And that's the difference between 2018 and 2020. Well, that's it is uh, that is so uh, beautiful and and impactful and so personal and and really I feel like in a nutshell uh n- describes so much about why state representatives matter so much more in your day-to-day life voters than than federal representatives do. Those these are people who know uh you know a- Amy now you and if you are elected I mean you know if fill in the blank voter what how what their family situation is and what the what the water cutoffs are like in their neighborhood and that is something that none of these senators federal senators and state or uh, and US house of representatives uh they, they can try as much as they can but they they just first of all they don't and second of all they can't and and it means so much uh to have people like that who who get it and who can help make changes um hey uh Amy, I want to hold on to you for one second. Amanda, I know you have to run in about 33 seconds. Um, can you uh, give us, uh, I want to just get your action steps here and tell us how people can contribute to run for something and why contributing to run for something matters here uh, overall, of course, but in this last month, uh, you know, when people are contributing, where does the money uh, go for for run for something? What's it going to do? Um, so right now, run for something is focusing on making sure that our candidates like uh, Amy have everything they need, um, whether that's uh, support figuring out how to do vote by mail or vote by mail chase or preparing for what might be a long counting of the ballots. You know, we are all in on making sure our candidates can get what they need in a time where nobody's ever campaigned like this before. You know, Amy, sure. the way that Amy's described her campaign, that's how every single one of our folks is doing this. So every dollar that you give right now 
helps close a pretty big budget gap we have between now and the end of the year. It also helps us stay open into 2021, which I know is like not a fun, cool thing to say when we're only on election day, but we have to be in this for the long haul. Um, so right now, what you're able to do is ensure that's possible. So if you're interested in supporting Run for Something, go to runforsomething.net slash donate. Uh, if you want to help our candidates, which I cannot recommend highly enough, they're the best. Um, directory.runforsomething.net is where to go. And I would be remiss and I get yelled at if I do not also re- recommend that you listen to our new podcast, which comes out every Tuesday, uh, runforsomething.net slash podcast. It's interviews with our candidates and our alumni. And you get to hear more amazing stories like Amy's and it's been really fun to get to do. So uh, if you listen to this, you might like that too. I love it. And you have been having these incredible Zoom video conversations with people like Cory Booker and local candidates. And they're, they're the, they, they are so uh, in, inspiring to, to watch and be a part of from a distance. Um, and, and so again, the work you're doing, Amanda, is, is really second to none for, like you said, um, for the long haul. It is, it is vitally, November 3rd is so important, but the long haul is really what matters. So uh, thank you. Um, so anyways, Amanda, I know you got to get out of here. Go ahead and run. Amy, if you don't mind sticking around for a couple more minutes and then we'll let you go. Absolutely. Bye, Amanda. Bye. You thank guys have got a winner with Amy. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Amanda. Bye. Amy, yeah, again, thank you so much for that description of, I guess, how this moment, again, from, from George Floyd to COVID and all of the things that have happened in between um, ha- has, I guess, m- narrowed, but also expounded on 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 how you're running your campaign and why it's important and why it's so, it's just so much more direct uh, a, a position like yours than, than these, um, you know, these more glamorous federal offices. Um, but I, I feel like now more than ever, again, with people trapped in their, in their homes, at their homes, in the yards, in their bubbles, whatever it might be, I, I hope they are appreciating uh, the role and the importance of folks like you and your offices in, in what that can be in their everyday life. If they've never paid attention, if you don't know who's on your school board, guess what? Now those people are are having to figure out COVID testing to get your kids back in school. What matters? Uh, people on your school board matter and the people in the state houses matter because they are influencing your everyday life. And and it's so inspiring to me to to have someone like you, again, who who knows how to get shit done because of how much you've done for yourself professionally, um, but also because what you uh, have been through personally uh, and as a as a black person and as a black woman, uh, both in your lifetime, but also uh, as an army brat uh, and also um, just living in North Carolina. And uh, again, uh, on the heels of 400 years of us um, trying to make sure that people like you can't do anything. Um, so that perspective is just so, so necessary. And, and I feel like can make such a difference going forward. Thank you. And yes, you're absolutely right. I just want to be able to bring all of those perspectives to the table. And you know, as a little girl growing up, I really did not understand why I had to go through all the things I went through and why, you know, there was so much change. At one point I went to five schools in six years. Like I didn't process that, you know, what I experienced would essentially become part of my platform. I, I never understood that. I really also didn't understand why I was an assistant principal at a high school one year and then got 
a call to interview for a position as a principal the next year, even though I didn't think I was ready. But I said, I'd pra- I'll practice, you know, I'll just practice. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, I received the job and it was one of the most challenging years of my educational career um, as the principal of a Title I school with high needs. But I understand now why I was in that school. And then I requested to move to a different school that would allow me a little bit more flexibility. And that was an elementary school, which I had no experience with. So you put all those things together and now I am the person that I'm here today you know, mm-hmm. saying, oh, I want to run for office and, you know, uh, throw in yet another wrench in this in this <laughs> life, this fabric of life, you know, and all of those things together make me the kind of person that is going to bring a variety of perspectives to the General Assembly. And so much so that I think people now are starting to process and understand that it is their school board, their county commissioners, their city councils and the state General Assemblies that are going to matter in their lives, um, not necessarily the president or the vice president or the, you know, just the federal level. Mm-hmm. And people are wising up to that, especially after seeing how the pandemic has been handled and how the governors responded to the federal government in general as they were, you know, trying to figure out funding and resource allocation and things like that. So I think people are wising up. I think they're understanding and I think they're responding. So we'll see November 3rd. <laughs> November 3rd. And, and again, the, ex- the examples are out there. I mean, again, it, it's the easy one and, I, and I'm biased but because it's where I'm from and because I'm proud of it. But Virginia, uh, you know, 400,000 people got health insurance through Medicaid virtually overnight because of that election. 400,000 people who probably, because it's Medicaid and because our health care system is so broken and so racist and oppressive, probably have never had health insurance before and and m- much less like found about any conditions they've had or had them treated. Uh, they've probably, if they, if, if they do go to the doctor, it's the emergency room and then the health bureaus are not me- a, a nightmare. 400,000 people. And that's just in one state. And, and, and you just go, wait, there's so many other, there's so many other places that we're in the similar position that where that can happen. And like you said, North Carolina isn't just next door. It is so similar in that respect. And, and in the respect of, of what uh, the other side has been trying to take away from people for so long. Um, And you can make people better. And by the way, again, like this is all a flat circle. Those 400,000 people that have had Medicaid for a couple of years are in a vastly different position now because a lot of those folks have these pre-existing conditions that make mortality from COVID worse. And we've seen that over and over again. But those people can go to the doctor in Virginia. And it's just, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It just it just means so much. And by the way, again, and we'll get to your, your action step here and how people can contribute. Uh, folks, we, we've harped on it over and over. When you contribute to state-level campaigns, your money goes so much farther than it does to donating to, to Joe and Kamala. Um, it's just, it's an entirely different ballgame. So if you want to feel like you have an impact, supporting folks like Amy in states like this, where, where the whole world can change overnight, uh, is just is just so massively impactful and efficient. Well, thank you. And yes, you're absolutely right. I do want to give a little bit of history about Virginia, just a teeny tiny bit. <laughs> so yeah. what's so important about Virginia that is actually being done in North Carolina is this intentional focus on finding voters where they are. 
So in 2018, we did a lot of door knocking in North Carolina. And of course, in 2020, we're just completely paralyzed by not knocking doors. And that that really is changing how we campaign. So we've had to do a lot of intentional focus on digital fundraising. Mm-hmm. So there's a pack, um, which I love PACs. So, you know, like Run for Something is an organization that supports candidates who are running for office and recruits candidates, younger candidates to also run and builds the pipeline. PACs like Our States Matter um, is another important type of PAC, but they did so much intentional focus in Virginia on digital advertising. Mm-hmm. That digital advertising and the case studies you'll see from Virginia, that's why people turned out to vote, right? It had significant implications, positive outcomes and positive implications for candidates who were running And so much so that those seats were flipped when they had no real chance of being flipped had they not done this intentional targeting and focusing on digital outreach and digital media. And that's what we're finding is actually a benefit of COVID is if there is some kind of, you know, benefit, we're able to find people where they are on their devices because Mm -hmm. device usage is up 70% post, you know, since April of 2020. And so we're seeing a lot more engagement on social media, on certain social platforms. Um, some One of my voters or constituents told me he found my uh, digital ad in the London Times as he was reading it because he takes <laughs> the London Times on his device. I thought, well, that's yeah. another question, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> sure. But what? You know, <laughs> on London Times, that's exceptional, you know? Um, <laughs> sure. But that's what was done in Virginia. And so that targeted focus has now moved to North Carolina. And we're super excited about that because it's helping us to reach our voters. We've had hundreds of thousands, and I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of thousands of full views of a mixture of three videos that were circulating. And they're all, they're either 30 seconds or one minute. Mm -hmm. That is what people are hearing about our message. And, you know, it'll help them make their decision in the fall. That's amazing. I mean, uh, hundreds of thousands again, like in, in a in a state district. Like that. That's that's amazing. And that's not just again. Obviously, uh, as 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 we will allude to in a second, and and our and our folks know because our our entire mission sort of predicated on action, which is like you don't have to be from Amy's district uh, to contribute to her campaign or to make phone calls or or whatever it is. And that's what's uh, so wonderful about this and and so important. When again, you say like you said. This the difference between door knocking, which is awesome, uh, and these these proven digital efforts, like has happened in Virginia, or you know, like the Obama team sort of uh, cultivated in two thousand eight and two thousand twelve, which which helped so much for them. Um, you know, this is the next version of that, and it it means that, like you said, your ad shows up in the London Times, great, but where, where wherever it reaches uh, your constitu your future constituents. Um, then that's awesome. Whatever, whatever moves the needle. And, and I'm so glad that, um, especially now again, when, when, when you're, I can't imagine how different this campaign is for you, uh, practically than, than your first one. I mean, it's an entirely different world. So thank God these tools are available to you to be able to do that. Right. Yeah. Our campaign, the last time we knocked, called and texted 60,000 times, like, 18,713, I think, were door knocks, okay? Uh-huh. This time, we, and, and I'm thankful to my opponent in the primary because he's the one that prompted me to have to do this, but uh, because I had a primary and I didn't expect a primary, 
Um, I had to spend money for that. And then it prompted me to get out and, you know, knock doors. And so we had about 25 volunteers knocking doors, whereas in 2018, we had about 130 who were knocking doors, helping us text and call. And so in 2020, we knocked doors right before the March 3rd primary, and we got about 3,400 doors in, thankfully, before everything shut down. Then I had the primary, we took a couple weeks off, and then we were gearing up to start knocking again, 1st of April, and then of course COVID hit. So we had to punt back up and punt, and then we started making calls. So we were making about 700 to 800 calls a week. Now we're up to about 1,500 to 2,000 calls a week. Uh-huh. And you know that's what it's going to take. I mean, we're introducing ourselves to people whom we've never met before because my district was redrawn. Um, and if you don't know about the gerrymandering, the terrible gerrymandering of North Carolina, mm-hmm. these people, listen to me, these people <laughs> drew these districts to where one person from a street was in one district and all the wow. other neighbors were in another district. And I'm talking... In the middle of the street. Uh, So if there's a street and homes on both sides, the line of the district would go in, grab one house, one address, and come out. Every other neighbor on the street was in a separate district. That is what the judge called drawn with surgical precision, mm -hmm. as if he was doing an appendectomy. I mean, really. (laughs) Wow. That's how bad it was. And so, you know, my district was redrawn. It wasn't that way in my district. That was another example from another district, but that's how bad it was. So, you know, we've had to do a lot of reintroducing my, me to, you know, new voters. And we've done that through phone calls, through digital, through mail, et cetera. But it takes a lot of money to run these races. And can I say the salary for a state house member is $15,000. So it's nothing to write home to Aunt Sally about. Okay. <sighs> We're fighting right. for the right to make laws like Virginia pass Medicaid expansion, expand funding for healthcare and funding for education, and give people their dignity back, pass the ERA, you know, things like that. We're trying to help people, but right. for fifteen thousand, it, it's it's fifteen thousand wow. dollars a year up against these systems again for 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 four hundred years that are so have been so comprehensively designed against literally you specifically. Um, and and so for for someone like you to run twice with all that you've done with all that you do every day uh, every day and and every year and then and then have the chance of actually winning is just has shown uh, you know how how far we've come how far we still have to go um, but what an enormous uh, you know David versus Goliath type battle it is I mean again if we you know and and I know you got to run here soon but. The, the the redistricting again it's a it's a census year um that is so complicated if you if you folks are sitting here going why uh this is all really cool and amy sounds amazing what does this do for climate change um well guess who draws them <laughs> draws the maps after the census right uh the, the census is a federal thing but the constitution says states regulate federal elections um and the power to redraw those maps at least right now goes to the party in power in that particular state um, and then the results of those maps does, you know, show how likely district is to lean towards someone progressive like Amy this time, right? Or like you said, there's one person in on a street and that's part of a district, right? And uh, if Amy wins, she can help redraw the maps uh, in, in North Carolina or set up independent uh, people to draw our computers. Um, and then we start putting the people in office that are going to enact radical, equitable legislation 
uh, to make it a little less hot around here, to make sure we don't uh, suffer so badly when something like COVID happens again, because it will. Um, but this redistricting is so vital, and, and it takes me back to, um, and I'm sure North Carolina has the same issues that Virginia does with the prison-based gerrymandering that uh, is is so just crazy throughout this country, and, and Michelle Alexander talked about in the new Jim Crow. I mean, it's it's crazy. And, and we have to have people like you in office to redraw these things, especially in a census year, um, so that this can be more fair going forward. Absolutely. And I do want to say something real quick about criminal justice. I'm going to try to make this like extremely quick, but I'm I'm not pressed Please. for time, but you know, I just want oh, to Oh, we're this. not either. No, I oh, got, okay. we'll, we'll okay. listen to you, you no, talk no. for <laughs> however long you want. This is incredible. Yeah. Awesome. So um, when I went to college, I was a freshman at UNC Chapel Hill. And, um, you know, I was uh, determined to take my car to campus. So I found a way to figure it out. Right. And uh, I'm a problem solver by nature, just so uh-huh. you know. So I solve problems and um, I was able to bring my car to campus. And so one day I drove the or rode the bus to the Friday Center to pick up my car um, from the permitted lot. And I was driving it back and we had an English assignment that was kind of looming over my head to write a long paper about a topic. I don't remember the nature of the topic, but we had a lot of choice around the topic. So as I was driving back to campus, getting ready to park, I witnessed several men on the side of the road with another man who had a gun, a couple men who had guns, shotguns. And I thought, what is going on over there? Now, I'm an 18-year-old student at Carolina, freshman year. It was the fall, like September. And I was not accustomed to what I saw. So I really just was curious. And um, I pulled over on the side of the road. And I went up to one of the men who had a gun and I then noticed inmate on the back of the men's you know, clothing who were working. And I said, what is this? Like, what's going on? And the guy said, ma'am, you know, why are you here? <laughs> I said, I'm very mm-hmm. curious. I said, what's happening? And he said, this is a work chain gang. I said, a what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he said, wow. this is a working chain gang from such and such correctional institution. And I said, wait, so these guys are working and they're all in prison? He's like, yeah. And I said, oh my gosh. I said, can I talk to them? And he said, "Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, I have to go with you everywhere you go. And I said, okay. (laughs) So I'd already pulled over, parked in a safe place. It was a very busy road in Chapel Hill. And um, in talking to the first gentleman, I said, you know, can you tell me your story? Because I didn't really know what question to ask, but I saw somewhere on NCIS or CISI Miami or one of the shows. (laughs) You never ask anyone what they did or what people say they did, you know, mm-hmm. if they're incarcerated. So I said, can you tell me your story? He told me his story. And essentially what it boiled down to was, um, you know, whatever he did, he did. He came out and then he went back in. And and I'm, I was witnessing him while he was back in. And I said, well, why are you back in? He said, you have no idea how hard it is to find a job, to find clothing, shelter, food when you get out of prison. And I said, well... Is this just your story? You know, how how many other people suffer from this? And he said, a lot of people return to prison after they go the first time. And I said, well, how many? And he said, so-and-so, come over here. So so so-and-so came over. So-and-so started telling me his story. Similar story. Was out or went in, was that came out and uh, returned back to prison. Another so-and-so came over. And before you knew it, I had a crowd of about six. And they all were telling me the exact same thing. So I started taking notes. Um, I went back to my car. I got my notebook. I said I would never mention their names. And I started taking notes about what they were telling me. And it was shocking what happens when they come out and they don't have systematic assistance and help 
with getting reacclimated to society. So our criminal justice system is broken. We know that black and brown people are policed way more statistically than any other group. And we know that black and brown students are disciplined more in schools. That is a fact, I've witnessed it. I've been a part of it um, in some cases because of the way society has um, forced us to discipline people, but particularly people of color. And so I went back to my dorm room and I cried. I could not believe that this was the case. So I started doing research and then I learned the word for it. The rate of return of prisoners to prison is called recidivism. Mm -hmm. So I was determined to keep that piece of knowledge in my head until I could do something about it. And so part of my legislative priorities are increasing funding for public schools, expanding Medicaid, making broadband a utility, and reducing recidivism for incarcerated individuals because we have to make sure we put them in a space to maintain and regain their dignity when they return to society. But mm -hmm. then so they can feel like they've paid their debt to society. So now let's let's vote. Let's work. Sure. Let's learn. Let's do all the things that other people are doing. Unless you're in Florida where then the uh, the house decides to then <laughs> take that away right. immediately after the uh, after the new law is passed. Um, because uh, they don't want these folks to vote, which is just ridiculous. They want them in jail. And again, you go back to uh, the prison-based gerrymandering. They want them in jail for certain reasons. They want them in jail because they're super racist. Uh, they, romp in the, in, they want them in jail because they know they can get away with, I, I think, the statistic in Virginia, so before they passed the new marijuana law, um, something like, Black people are 20% of the population and marijuana arrests were something like 45 or 55% uh, of the population. And they want them in jail because, uh, and this, I mean, when I first learned about this, it blew blew my mind. But again, doesn't surprise me because it's this comprehensive system. Um, the, the census counts imprisoned individuals as uh, residents of the area or the district where they're incarcerated. And most new prisons are built in predominantly white rural areas, which we already know are, are vastly overrepresented in Congress. So they get these inflation uh, inflated uh, population totals, right? Uh, meanwhile, because we're arresting, uh, over-indexing on arresting uh, black people and brown people, those people aren't counted in the districts they're from, and so they get fewer representatives. Um, and then again, this thing just keeps happening and keeps happening. And it's just, it is, it is horrific and it is, uh, you know, totally, uh, a development of, of the three fifths clause and nothing has changed and it. And it has to, and like you said, we have to be able to give these people's lives back. We have to let them, uh, vote. Uh, we have to make it so that they can have jobs, um, and, and be able to start businesses. And it's, uh, it's not going to so many we won't be able to have these diverse voices in Congress until we can stop arresting uh, those people and, and let them try to do these things. It's just, it is, it is, I don't know. It's, it's fucking terrible. So I'm, I'm excited to do whatever it takes to, to radically disassemble this system. Absolutely. And I am as well. <laughs> Cause it needs to be done. Anyways, uh, please excuse my tangent. Uh, Brian, take us into action steps uh, so we can get uh, Amy out here to keep uh, sending digital ads. Yeah, to there's got to be times. more important things that she needs to be doing. I was going to say knocking on doors, but I can't say that anymore. We don't do that. You get in trouble if you do it, which you should. 
Um, uh, yeah, Amy, uh, we always want to, uh, to focus on, on, on action here, action oriented questions, action steps, things we can do, like I said at the beginning, uh, to, to get our listeners to just get out there and, and support you. Um, so let's do that. What, um, I guess we, we already sort of mentioned it before, um, Amanda left. So how, how can we help you? How can our uh, listeners help you as far as, uh, with, with their dollar? Okay. Clock's clock's ticking. Let's do it. Right. It's go time. Go Great time. question. So, um, you know, we're about a month away from the election, and mm-hmm. um, you know, based on when this particular recording will go out, um, you know, people just need to understand that every dollar matters. Every dollar will be used to get the message of hope and um, change out to the voters. So, the best thing you can do is to consider making a donation. Um, Now, I'm bold, so I will tell you the lowest amount as well as the highest amount. So the lowest amount is $1. Uh, Mm -hmm. The system won't process for anything lower than that. But the highest amount, which I'm not going to prevent anyone from doing this, is uh, $5,400. And so anywhere in that range, $1 to $5,400, whatever works for your budget, and then double that. (laughs) Um, Because it's going to take a mammoth of an effort to continue getting the messaging out. Uh, Being one of the most expensive races in North Carolina, I'm slated to have $1 million spent against me for a position that pays $15,000 a year. So the system was built for retired people to run, but particularly retired white males Mm -hmm. um, to run and win. And that's how the system has been set up for it to be a part-time job, making $15,000, but you you can't, but it operates like a full-time position. Um, So where you can make donations is on my website. And my website is amysteel2020.com. And my name is spelled A-I-M-Y because I always aim high. So aim high. So good. It's so good. (laughs) Aim Y Steel with an E on the end, 2020.com. So amysteel2020.com. You can click on make a donation. You can also click to sign up to volunteer. And so some of your listeners may be saying, well, I can't volunteer. I live in this state or that state. I'm not in North Carolina. Well, fret no more, my friend. You (laughs) can volunteer by helping us make some phone calls. And we do phone calls over the digital um, platforms, or you can make them from your cell phones. And so that effort um, is also on my website. It says volunteer here. And you can select which day, time, and uh, you know Zoom uh, orientation you want to attend. Mm-hmm. But we do phone banks every day at 4 p.m., literally seven days a week and have been for months. So we're gearing up and really want to invite people to do their part. You know, Don't just sit around and complain about what needs to change and make these you know grandiose dreams and ideas, but not put any action behind them. Yep. So like really show up this year. Yeah, re- retweets aren't going to get it done. Um, I, I I love that. That's great. I know. I I've, we we have so many. Uh, our audience is so I- impactful and action takers. And yet, you know, I understand when people are like, ah, oh, I don't know, phone calls, like nerve wracking, cold calling. Uh, it's 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 the best. Like you do it. It's like knocking on doors. You you the first couple are terrifying, and then after that, it's just like the greatest thing in the world. You you it becomes old hat very quickly, and and it's to to speak to someone is is i mean if you're feeling anxious if you're feeling angry if you're feeling aggravated if you're feeling despair about everything that is happening and and what could happen with this election and and to be clear like people are voting already in a lot of places virginia is already voting and a lot of other places are um, people are sending in ballots this thing has started it's not an election day anymore you could besides your vote i mean if 
it is it is science. When you take action, when you do these things, when you make phone calls, you you not only are making um a, a, an impact, you can make yourself feel better as well. Uh, and so if we can kill two birds with one stone and and get Amy into office at the same time, then then just do it. You know, uh, four o'clock uh, sounds like a date. I think it sounds fantastic. Well, thank you. And one of the things I say is, if you don't want to make phone calls, donate so someone else can. <laughs> yeah, there's That's always awesome. something, always something to do. And yeah, the phone calls, the um, door knocking, it only sort of seems like you said, it's like weird at first. And then once you start doing it, you don't want to stop doing it. It's incredible. It's it's pretty awesome. All right, Amy, last couple of questions and then we're going to get you out of here, okay? Um, um, they're a little more philosophical, if you will. Um, Amy, when was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? Oh, man, that was when I was five years old when I helped this young girl who smelled bad in my kindergarten class. Mm -hmm. And so for two weeks, I brought her a new pair of underwear um, from my collection, of course, uh, barf soap and a uh, towel, a rag. And I put it in a Ziploc bag every day. And uh, the teacher noticed that we were going into the bathroom every day before recess. And we were taking a long time. And what we were doing was I was giving her the bag, letting her go in, change herself, wipe herself up and give herself like a sink bath and then come back out. And then we would go out to recess. So when the teacher discovered this, she told my big mama, um, and you may not know my story, but my parents had me when they were 14. So we, oh were, my kind God. Of raised, yeah, wow. we were kind of raised together as siblings for a little while. And so my big mama, my grandma was in charge. She was the mom. And so my big mama got a call from the kindergarten teacher and she said, you know, Miss Maddie, I need you to tell Amy or communicate to her at home that, you know, we've got her back. Like we will take care of the little girl and we'll take care of her needs. And this has been going on for about two weeks now. And I'm just now putting two and two together, but you can tell her to stop and we'll take care of it. But I've already talked to Amy. So when I got home, my big mama talked to me and everything was fine. I stopped doing it. But, you know, in reflection, I realized that that was my advocacy as a child. Like that's the only thing I knew to do to help solve the problem at the time. And if the teachers were taking care of the problem, then I wouldn't have had to step in. So I know that change can start as early as, you know, playground days in elementary school. And that's when I realized that I had the power to do something about a situation and I never felt helpless by doing so. My grandmother worked as the help for local white families and so we were taught to always help and always solve people's problems. And that's what I did. Man, at five years old, that is unbelievable. That's incredible. That's really, <clears throat> that's really special. Uh, thank you for sharing that. And uh, it, it just, I, I'm trying to teach my children who, again, are, are white, upper middle class kids in America. They're incredibly privileged, just like I am. And um, it's more important than ever, especially for for them to to help whenever help is, is required. And, um, um, that, that is really pretty exceptional. And again, my, my kids are ab about that age and, um, I, I imagine and hope that they would do something similar. So that is special. And I can, I can see why you are doing what you're doing today. Wow. Um, Amy, uh, who is someone in your life that has positively impacted your work in the past six months? Oh, that's my dad. So my parents, um, my dad is a military man, uh, and he's the former command sergeant major of Fort Hood. And I have to say this about my dad. He is quite inspirational, but he and my mom, um, I launched a business last year, 
and the business teaches veterans how to do certain technological things uh, through a program, a technology program. Mm -hmm. And so I was launching it here in Charlotte and my dad and my mom moved in with me from Texas for three and a half months so they could use their GI Bill to take the course with the other veterans. And so they were in my first class and they stayed with me recently for three and a half months. And they saw me get up every day. They saw me do call time. You know, they had their own, you know, uh, habits every day. They joined the YMCA here for three and a half months. You know, they just kind of fell into society here in Concord in North Carolina, all the way from Texas. Um, They traveled. My dad is a preacher, so he preaches on the road. And they traveled and did their thing, but they were in class with me every day. And we took the class together alongside the veterans who were in the the cohort. And um, that was just the most special thing to me. Because, you know, they were living in my house with me and the children and my husband. And my husband was so welcoming of them. Like we bonded better. We had such a great time. But I got to see firsthand my dad's dedication to his craft and the things that he was doing. And my mom as well. But my dad particularly because of that military service. And so I witnessed it as a kid growing up like that, right? Because he joined the military when he was 18, moved away with my mom. And my grandmother still kept me and then they came to get me and then we moved to Japan when I was eight. But I'd witnessed growing up with them as kids. But then, you know, after high school, I went off to college and I got married and never returned. So seeing them in this phase of life was just so inspirational. And my dad is just so calculated, so pointed, so military, so focused, so disciplined. (laughs) And me seeing that while trying to raise money during, um, you know, tumultuous times at best. It was just very inspirational. So he is completely my person <laughs> to to, you know, impact my life. So that is awesome. That Incredible. is that is pretty special. Um yeah, there's something about getting to know all, all aspects of your family, but especially your parents and I imagine in a really interesting way for you because the age gap between you and your parents is so relatively so small. Uh, but getting getting to know people uh, at different stages of life, and, and especially with your parents, you know, realizing that they're people, they're not just your mom and dad, uh, and it's it's complicated. And and seeing the experience they've gathered and appreciating their wisdom for for what it is is uh, it's fascinating. Truly, uh, so awesome to hear, um, uh, Amy. Uh, it's wild out there to say the least, and you're crazy busy. What is your your self care? How you how you taking care of yourself these days, man? So oh man, I love self care. <laughs> Good. Good, I love it. Okay, so here's the rundown in the still household. Um, I pray every day in the morning mm-hmm. before the kids wake up. Um, I read my Bible, and that centers me. Um, I'm doing a study on Joseph right now and the children of Israel and all of the massive just things they had to overcome. So that's one thing that kind of centers me. And I listen to spa and meditation music. So that's all the morning routines. Then I go have a crazy, crazy day. Um, I am just now starting to do this, but I did this all through the election cycle last year and earlier this year. Um, But I went to the spa and I make no apologies for going to the spa and I get a massage and um, go to the sauna and, you know, the hot steam room, the uh-huh. pool, whatever. Um, but I do the whole spa thing. And so sometimes I'll go with girlfriends. Of course, during COVID, I didn't go at all, but I just recently went. They just opened back up. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, going to the spa is, uh, it's a form of medical care to me. Mm-hmm. It's a form of self-care and it's health care. Because when you get a massage and they're literally massaging out toxins out of your muscles and, you know, reshifting your muscles and, you know, putting pressure on them and, you know, putting rocks on them and hot stones, it is just the best experience ever. So I go to the spa and that's a form of self-care and I go regularly. So I save and I go to the spa. Um, I am now doing walks and runs. We take our family to the beach, not the beach, the um, mountains and do day trips uh, just to go up to Asheville to the mountains of North Carolina. So in North Carolina, we're very fortunate. We have the mountains and the beach all in the same state. So pretty great. It's pretty amazing. Asheville is amazing. Yeah, Asheville is awesome. Um, consequently, they just voted to uh, recognize reparations and you know in different forms, and so they're very progressive. But I love going to Asheville, and I love the just walking in the Blue Ridge trails, and you know going into the mountains and just hiking and taking part of nature. But there are no mosquitoes, so I think that's very important. Like there are no mosquitoes when you go hiking, and that is essential when you're in North Carolina and you're trying to avoid mosquitoes. How so is that possible? Those things, I don't know. I it's incredible. <laughs> there are no mosquitoes when you go hiking. Oh, that's um, wonderful so to hear. That's a part of my self-care package. Yeah, um, those all sound pretty, pretty fantastic. Yeah, and that's another thing. I mean, there's. I think Japan was the first place to release the research on on how just being in nature is so good for your brain uh, and your and your anxiety and your stress. It's a uh, it's a game changer. Throw a little spa in there. Oh, good to go. It's true. Self care is so 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 important. So good for you and your spa. No apologies Brian's, necessary. A lot of, lot of Brian's day oh, is yeah. self-care. Um, <laughs> um, Amy, what is one book that you have read uh, maybe this year or yeah, pretty recently that, that has opened your mind to uh, a topic that maybe you haven't considered before or that's changed your, your thinking in some way? Well, so two books I've read so far this year that have completely changed my mind. I I read a lot of finance books and nonfiction books uh, about finance because I used to struggle in that area. And so reading books helps me to become better at those uh, things. And so, you know, I read a lot of those and I've read several of them this year, but the two this year that stick out are Indecent Assembly by Gene Nichols. And this book is about, or Gene Nichol, Nichol or Nichols, but Gene writes about the systematic dismantling of government and politics in North Carolina but he quotes many of my friends and people I know and political icons mm. in North Carolina. So it's like, oh my gosh, that's my friend. I'll take a picture <laughs> and send it to my friend, you know? Um, or this representative or that representative or this news article or this vote in the House or this vote in the Senate. Like he is systematic about um, capturing what's happened in North Carolina politics and why 2020 is so important. So that book could not have come out at a better time. Uh, So that's number one. The second one is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Now, that's a classic. Mm -hmm. But in reading it, you know, it's kind of interesting. Like, I can certainly tell what time period they were in when they were writing it or when the gentleman was writing it. But um, being very specific about your goals and then outlining how you're going to get there, that is just a sobering reminder, especially during COVID, of how very important it is to still have goals and still go after them in a very specific way. So we always throw around like, oh, having a smart goal is a great idea. No, no, no. Having a smart goal is the only essential way to get your goals done. Mm -hmm. So it's not just a great idea and a a great philosophy. It is absolutely essential. 
So I've been very intentional this year of creating goals that are specific to the campaign and specific to my life and quality of life and well-being. So my new goals chart is a Word document. It's four pages and it has pictures and a grid. And the picture aligns with the area of my life that I want to focus on. And then there are um, there are goals around that area. And then there are action steps and then dates by when those action steps are supposed to be done. So it kind of reads like a school improvement plan, which is what we were required to do as a principal. Um, that book has been completely impactful because I've never read it before. As long as I've been you know, around these types of books, self-help and whatever, I've never read that book. So reading it is uh, life-changing. You might be my favorite person. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're my fave too. All, uh, no, 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 no. The you don't have to is say not that. your fave. I'm just saying, all I've the number of books I've tried to get Brian to read about organization mm-hmm. and uh, so checklists and things like that, and they're yeah. just in a pile. And he refuses to, and I mm-hmm. keep sending them to him. And I'm like, Brian, it's going to change your life. I show him my crazy calendar with my kids oh, and my twelve much. jobs. He's not interested. And I'm like, Brian, I'm telling you, if you if you build yourself a system, and to be clear, like my wife, who also has 12 jobs and is the most amazing mom and and partner and and friend and businesswoman and runs the whole ship. Um, you know, she she operates in a totally different way, but and thinks my systems are insanity, um, and yet is somehow still more productive than me. Uh, having something, whatever the thing is that works for you, whenever you discover in life will is, is just such a game changer. And it enables you to have, like you said, sort of these, these value driven, uh, but practical goals that guide sort of all of the decisions you make. And it just, it unlocks your day and your week and all of these things. And like you said, in COVID where we're just time is crazy, uh, and we're all locked inside our living rooms, it can make such a difference. Absolutely. Let me say this, Brian, to your defense, Brian. Oh, um, so much. Thank you very much. <laughs> I was really hoping you were going to yell at him. Anyway. <laughs> no, I'm a teacher, so I'm going to teach. Brian, uh, it's okay that you are who you are, right? A person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. So we have to find what works for Brian. So Brian, do you like to draw pictures of your goals? What? How do you artistically express your goal and you're probably a creative is that right i I guess you could call me that and just to clear something up i love reading i read very often i read lots of stuff i just happen to not read the books that quinn sends me about making lists okay that's all it is okay 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 (laughs) yeah right (laughs) by the way think and grow rich sounds incredible i cannot wait to order that and read that yes it's amazing you will love it um, this has been just delightful. I can't thank you enough, um, uh, for, for your time and all that you've done and all that you're doing. And I cannot wait to see you, uh, inaugurated. Um, Amy, where can our listeners follow you on the internet? Okay. So, um, you can go to amysteel2020.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at amysteel. And then find everything else from there. Um, but Amy Steele, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Oh, very good. I am. Very exciting. Awesome. Um, well, uh, again, uh, th- thank you so much for your time and for and for coming on with us. And again, apologies for the production difficulties to get started. Uh, life, man. Um, but we really appreciate it. We're, we're cheering for you. We're behind you. We're so excited to try to uh, unleash our audience a little bit behind you in this last month, which is crazy. Um, and, um, 
and we wish you all of the very best. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the opportunity. You have. Absolutely. I just want to say you have you the words you have spoken today. Just you're just a leader. You're just so clearly and naturally somebody who needs to 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 be in a, a position of not 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 in charge so much, but just to to be able to inspire people. I mean, just talking to you for an hour, I'm just. I wish I lived in North Carolina. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. And Absolutely. you all have a fantastic day. Thanks to our incredible guest today. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Uh, just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. <laughs> and you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks.